Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is episode number 154 of our newsletter, which I'm recording on Wednesday, October 14th of 2020. And again, we've got lots of stuff to talk about. I want to talk about this indexing issue that I've been talking about for several weeks now. We discovered some stuff today, uh, some patterns in... Uh, what we think happened, and I, I'm just going to give you a little teaser today because uh, we actually made this discovery early this morning, and uh, I would like to spend the rest of the day, probably most of the week, trying to analyze it before we say too much, but I'll, I'll give you a little teaser uh, later on in this episode about what we think is uh, potentially going on and how we can use this information um, to do better in our own websites. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about uh, a possible small update that happened, uh, some new stuff for Google Analytics, and we've got some really interesting tweets that I want to unpack and uh, and share with you because we learned a lot from uh, listening to the SEO community this week. And in our Q&A section, we're going to talk about two different things. One person has asked us why their site does not get review stars in the search results, and another person uh, has asked us to do a mini site review for a site called sometimesailing.com. I'm going to give you some thoughts on that and how you can improve that website. Uh, and we've got loads of stuff that I am not covering in podcasts that we also have in our online newsletter. You can get that newsletter at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. And again, this is episode number 154. Uh, so let's talk about the algorithm turbulence that's been happening. Um, we've been mentioning this date, September 21st of 2020, for, for quite a while. And Google said that they had some issues. I think Google said the issues started on September 20th. I could be wrong on that date. Uh, but it's very clear when you look at the analytics for sites that were affected that September 21st, something very significant happened uh, at that time. And we have a number of clients in our profile that saw increases at this time. We have a number of clients that saw decreases as well. Um, and it really did look typical to what we usually see when uh, Google does an algorithm update of some sort. Um, but we really couldn't uh, unpack it all and, and figure it all out. And I still don't have all of the answers to, <laughs> to what Google is doing here. Um, just as a little bit of rem reminder, in case you haven't been listening to the last few episodes, there were several issues that happened uh, in September. Now, one that we're not really talking a whole lot about was there were issues with indexing Google News. And uh, if you have a Google News website, then this is something that you're probably concerned about. And we don't know uh, many details about what happened there. The two issues, though, that affected a large number of sites across the web were one was some issue with canonicalization and two, an issue with mobile indexing. And we don't really know the details. Uh, Google told us, so the Google search liaison Twitter account tweeted on October 9th, so five days before I'm recording this, uh, update, the mobile indexing was effectively resolved yesterday. So mobile indexing issue was resolved on October 8th. Uh, you know what, that makes sense actually, because um, we were noticing a number of sites with increases on October 8th. So I'm going to go back and look at that particular date. Uh, and Google search liaison, so Danny Sullivan says, with about 99% of URLs restored. So, you know, it's possible if your traffic was down in September that this issue is fixed. However, the tweet goes on to say, work on the canonical issue continues 
with about 55% of impacted URLs restored. So this was five days ago that uh, Google tweeted this, saying 55% of the URLs impacted by canonical issues on Google's side uh, have been fixed now. Now, Glenn Gabe tweeted something very interesting uh, where he tweeted some screenshots from Google Search Console uh, for one of his clients, and he said uh, this client was affected by the canonical bug. And it was really interesting because you could see that um, in Search Console in the Google coverage or the index coverage report, you can see how many valid pages are indexed on Google. And for this particular client, uh, they had a massive dip uh, in, you know, I would say like maybe 30% of their pages seemed to be uh, missing from the index. And this started on September 21st. And then Glenn shows in his diagram that uh, over the last few days or so, those pages have been returning and the site is close to having, uh, you know, the same levels of indexed pages, valid indexed pages as they had prior to the bug happening. So I thought, okay, well, this is great. This gives me something to go on to kind of analyze our clients because we've been looking at analytics. We've been looking at, uh, yes, we have a number of sites with increases. We have a number of sites with decreases all around this time. And we're trying to sort of figure out what it, what caused this. You know, do we have to worry? Maybe we don't. You know, maybe all this talk is for nothing. And maybe we can just go, well, this was just a glitch on Google's side and, uh, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. So let's just wait for things to recover. And that may be the answer. And I might be just going down a road here and investigating something that's not going to help anybody. Uh, but I still think it's worth investigating. Um, canonicalization is a weird thing. And I think there's some type of connection to Google's assessment of which pages are relevant uh, to queries. But, uh, you know, I could be, again, I could be wrong on this. So in Newsletter, if you're a premium subscriber of Newsletter, we actually shared some analytics in Google Search Console information from one of our clients that saw some changes. Uh, they saw a big drop in traffic on September 21st. But in this case, uh, they saw a drop, a very gradual drop in the number of valid indexed pages that the Google, uh, that the index coverage report showed. And they have not seen a recovery in the number of indexed pages, yet their traffic has almost fully recovered. So something really funky is going on here. And I debated on how much to share uh, because something we noticed is that I looked at particular keywords uh, that were no longer ranking for one of the pages that dropped out of the index for this client. And it's really interesting to see that the keywords that were affected were almost all keywords that ranked on the first page of Google. So um, what do we make from this? You know, it, it's tough. And I have a number of theories. And again, you know, we debated on, uh, do I spend a couple of days figuring this out and delay podcast? Or uh, do we work on it over the next few days and report back next week? And that's what we're going to do. So uh, I will talk in podcast episode about what we've seen. And um, again, if you're a premium newsletter subscriber uh, for search news, you can use we're going to have great detail, even if my theory is wrong. We're going we're gonna to publish what uh, we've found because it's really, really interesting, and I think that it'll help people uh, figure out um, how we can determine what it is that Google is valuing uh, in terms of quality on our pages. Um, another date that we flagged as maybe an update was October 5th. 
we had a number of sites in our profile that saw changes on this date that looked typical of an update, but I actually think this is probably connected to Google uh, fixing the canonicalization issues. Uh, so I don't really think that Google did a significant update here, but this will be part of our analysis that we're doing over the next few days, and I'll report back to you next week on that. Um, speaking of uh, cool stuff that we're doing at MHC, we've been working really hard on a webinar to answer your questions about unnatural links and using Google's disavow tool. Uh, and so I created, uh, I recorded a... Um, a webinar basically to answer all your questions. I know several of you have asked me questions about which links to disavow, uh, whether you should file a disavow, whether, uh, how do you know whether you're being affected negatively because of unnatural links? And uh, I've uh, answered all of these questions and my team is just editing this uh, so that we can publish it. I believe we're gonna publish it, uh, ooh, it might be tomorrow, might be the day after. So Thursday or Friday of this week. And uh, I'll be tweeting about that. It'll be on our YouTube channel though so if you want to subscribe uh, to me on YouTube just look up Marie Haynes on YouTube and uh, that webinar will be there and I really think it's going to help a lot of people. Um, Google announced this week that there is a new version of Google Analytics coming and this sounds pretty exciting. They're going to be using machine learning to provide insight into trends with your data uh, and so apparently they'll automatically alert you with changes like new predictive methods that they have um, and other information on how users are interacting with your business. I know that seems kind of vague, uh, but it does seem like uh, we're going to be getting some really good insight. So Google suggests that you create a new property, an Analytics 4 property, which previously was called an app plus web property. Uh, and that will give you these insight, uh, th these new analytics. So um, I don't know a whole lot on that. I, I'm going to read this paragraph here that Google published that says the future of Google Analytics. It says, the new Google Analytics is now the default experience for new properties and is where we're investing in future improvements. We know that there are capabilities many marketers need before fully replacing their existing analytics setup, so we encourage you to create a new Google Analytics 4 property, previously called an app plus web property, alongside your existing properties. This will allow you to start gathering data and benefit from the latest innovations as they become available while keeping your current implementation intact. So um, we don't really know what's coming down the pipe on this, but Google's got a lot of really cool stuff that they're doing with machine learning, and uh, this is something that I really want to be paying attention to. Um, we monitor Twitter pretty much all day, every day. <laughs> somebody on my staff is on Twitter. And every time uh, somebody in the SEO community tweets something that's a really good discussion, we, we tend to have discussions in our, although lately they're virtual discussions, you know, Slack uh, gets to learn a lot about uh, weird SEO-related questions lately. Um, I really liked this that my team found, and it was a tweet from Dan Schur. Uh, Dan said... E-commerce people don't overlook how to buy product pages. So he said he had a client that created this page, and it wasn't just a product page. So a product page is 
uh, I think you all know what a product page is. You see a picture of the product, you see the specs and you see a, a button to buy it. And, and, you know, maybe there's some reviews for the product, uh, but essentially it's a transactional page where people are going to buy that product and uh, they land on that page and then they can buy it on that page. And so what he had his client do was create a guide that was sort of a mix between a transactional page and also an informational page. And, um, what he said was, uh, I'll read his words here, had a client create one with the intent of filling the site with hybrid product slash guide content to support the category page. But instead, it ended up ranking for the purchase intent search of buy product, which is really, really interesting. And why did I, uh, you know, why did I mention this? I think more and more, and especially with recent Google updates, Google is trying to figure out a searcher's intent and they're getting better at figuring out which pages actually answer the searcher's query. I'm going to talk about this a little bit in one of the site reviews that we do at the end of this episode. Um, Dan said that the page that they created, so there's two pages for this uh, company. One is just the product for sale. And it actually ranks if somebody is searching for uh, buy this product, you know, if it's very clear that they want to buy. Um, but uh, the page that they created that's a guide on how to buy this product, and at the end of this guide, apparently there's like a few uh, actual product listings where you can click on them and buy it, but the guide is almost completely informational. Now, somebody tweeted uh, Martino Mosno, Mar Mosnas, Mar oh, my apologies, Martino Mosna, um, tweeted, well, that's because how to buy isn't informational. It's 100% transactional. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think if I do a search for how to buy something, it could be either. And I think in Dan's situation, Google's algorithms actually figured out that people who are searching for how do I buy this type of thing, they're kind of in the middle in terms of, you know, maybe they want some information, maybe they want uh, some actual products to buy, which is transactional. And so a page that combines the two actually ranked really, really well. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think that uh, we have to be paying attention to intent so, so much. Um, and so this is important. You know, I talked before about uh, Stacey McNaught talked in a talk on, uh, I can't remember where it was, um, about a company she worked with that uh, used to rank really well for the term ballet shoes. And then eventually they stopped ranking for that term and every site that was ranking at the top for their searches was completely informational. And I think what Google figured out was that most people who search for the term ballet shoes, while some of those people might be wanting to actually buy ballet shoes, most people are looking for information. They're trying to, you know, it's a how to buy thing. They're trying to figure out, do I need this particular type of brand? I don't really know ballet shoes that well. Although my mother was, <laughs> my mom was a professional ballet dancer. I probably should know ballet shoes. Uh, and I have zero of her dancing ability. Um, any of you who have met me at conferences know that I cannot dance which is weird because it should be genetic. I should be a very good dancer. <laughs> um, and so uh, let's say, though, that I actually knew all of the different aspects of ballet shoes. Um, I might have questions about which types, you know, maybe there's uh, different types for different ages, um, things like that. And when her company, when her uh, business that she was working with made this informational guide 
on ballet shoes, they instantly regained, oh, I don't know if instant is the right word, but very quickly regained rankings, uh, top three rankings for most of their queries um, for this informational content. Now, that was kind of a, a, a win-lose situation because, yay, it was exciting that they actually started to rank again, but those pages didn't convert very well because, um, you know, you need to tell users, well, if you're on this page, here's where you buy things. Uh, and so, um, you know, they were trying to ra rank for conversions, but actually ranked an informational page. So if you're struggling and if you've lost some rankings for some of your important products, you might want to play around with doing some type of a, a guide um, for that product and answering the questions that people would have when, when they go to buy this product. Funny story, my husband and I spent so much time being tech support this week. <laughs> for things that I'm not any good at at all. I uh, was really struggling with my sound in Fortnite and uh, could not figure out why. It was all garbled, and I spent probably two hours uh, downloading drivers and um, playing with my settings on my PC and doing all these things, and it turns out that like after an hour and a half, I discovered that the problem was that the cord wasn't fully plugged in, um, and I felt really like an idiot. And then I had to spend another half hour reversing all the settings changes that I made to try to fix it. And then my husband, he bought this really fancy HDMI cable for uh, this receiver that he has, and he spent four hours trying to get this thing sorted out and trying to figure out uh, why it wouldn't work. And it turns out that I had no idea. There are directions in some of these high-end HDMI cables. And it needed to be plugged in, like, the, the right end needed to be on the TV and the other end needed to be on the receiver. And that was uh, the wrong way. Why am I telling you all this embarrassing stuff? It's because um, as a person who is potentially going to buy, say, an HDMI cable... Uh, an article that tells me about these common problems that people have. See, David didn't know that, um, you know, maybe he didn't need to spend money on this directional cable. Uh, maybe that's something that's just for other reasons. Uh, and so if people have questions about buying your product and people often get confused about knowing which brand to get, knowing, you know, which color is most popular or which variation is actually the one that they're looking for, then writing a guide to help them figure figure out what they want to buy could actually be something that would rank well. So Dan's intent when he was helping his client do this is uh, to basically, uh, I don't know if he wanted to have two pages ranking or if he was like, look, we want this page to rank for informational queries and this page to rank for uh, transactional queries. And then what happened was uh, the page that he thought um, was only going to rank for informational queries, Google grabbed it and uh, promoted it for many queries. Uh, and so so it goes to show you that uh, content that actually truly helps people seems to be really winning lately. I thought this was really interesting. Uh, another uh, tweet that we pulled out of Twitter, and it was information on um, incorrect entity information. So there's an SEO uh, named Ivano DiBassi, uh, and his name is spelled, it's important how his name is spelt. So his last name is two words. It's D-I space B-I-A-S-I. So two words. And he tweeted that if you do a search for when Ivano DiBassi was born, uh, you will find uh, the knowledge panel is correct, but Google's first organic result, which is Ivano's own website, misspells it. And instead of D-I 
as the middle part of his name. It has D-E. And so he was asking, well, how do I fix this? Why would Google rewrite a title tag? Now, most of us know that Google will rewrite a title tag uh, sometimes when they feel that it's wrong. Uh, or they'll rewrite it when they feel that it's more relevant to a searcher's query. I don't know why they rewrote this. I, I wonder, I mean, maybe uh, in Italy this is, uh, maybe it's a more common spelling, and maybe uh, Google is assuming that it's a, a misspelling. Um, but the question was, how could Ivano fix that? So if Google has wrong information for your name or for your website that's appearing in organic search, there's many signals that you can send to Google uh, to tell them that uh uh, that we're doing, uh, that, who you are, basically, to give them all of the right information. And Bill Swalski uh, actually uh, tweeted a response to this, which makes perfect sense. He said, here's some things you could do. Number one, try using person schema. So you can put schema on your page. And schema, what it does is it just gives one more signal to Google uh, to say, all right, here's the information. Um, and, you know, obviously you make sure that it, the name is spelled correctly in the schema. Uh, and then he said, link to your page with your first and last name as the anchor text. Now, I actually noticed on uh, Ivano's homepage that his name is not listed. It's in an image on the logo. And Google has a really hard time deciphering uh, text from images often. And so uh, just having his name spelled correctly on the page, and maybe he could add it to the title tag, that probably could help as well. Um, but what Bill said was, give Google examples of the proper spelling of your name and do Doing that can help give them more confidence that you have spelled it correctly. So anytime that Google is um, presenting something in the search results that is incorrect, you need to send them more signals and you need to do all you can. You know, there are times where we add schema to websites and we go, I don't know, did this do anything? Maybe it didn't accomplish anything, but maybe it did help Google understand things a little bit better. Um, and it's also important to know that the, the, the context of links that are pointing to your website, whether they're internal links or external, is very, very important. And I would imagine that if a couple of people linked to this website using the correct spelling of the name, that Google would figure it out that this is the correct spelling of the name. Uh, or if he made internal links, uh, you know, with the correct spelling of his name, I, I think that that would send Google signals as well. Uh, so it's always very interesting when Google seems to get something wrong. Uh, it helps you figure out, you know, where does Google gather these signals? What type of signals are they looking at? How did they not know that this was the right spelling of his name? When there's clearly, I mean, the entity information is right around the web, but he, they couldn't figure it out for his website. And so there's certain things that if Google can't figure something out, you need to decide what signals can I give Google so that they get the information right. And again, uh, having the words on the page is something. Having them in the title tag is important. I think even having his name in one of the headers on the page would probably work. Linking with uh, the correct keyword anchor can really help as well. Um, let's see here. We grabbed a few things from the latest search off the record episode. Uh, these are kind of fun. Uh, you know, a lot of the banter between, so it's, it's Gary Eish and John Mueller and Martin Split. And uh, they're, you know, just talking amongst each other. And some of it is, is quite, uh, quite humorous. I learned a few things from this episode. And uh, we've written about it in our newsletter. But the one thing I wanted to pull out from here is this part. Uh, I'm going to read it out from the transcript. The part that talks about H tags. 
I've been really focusing on H tags lately. Um, and so what Gary was doing, Gary Ish was telling how caffeine works. Caffeine, um, uh, you know, in terms of uh, understanding ranking, you know, how does Google figure out they take information from a page and then figure out what information is there and how do we rank it. And he talked about H tags. He said, quote, all these header tags are also normalized through rendering. We try to understand the styling that was applied on the H tags so we can determine the relative importance of the H tags compared to e each other. That's really interesting, right? Like we've said before that, um, you know, if you use H2 tags instead of H1 tags, I don't think that's going to hurt you. Uh, but let's say you had some weird thing where your H5 tags are like four times the size of your H2 tags. And I've seen people who have said, well, I just can't figure out, I just want this heading to be bigger. So I'll make the first heading an H5 because that's the way it's styled. Um, and then we'll have an H1 and an H2. Like, it, So Google knows that people get really confused about the order of H tags. Um, and I wouldn't get too hung up on the order and whether you're using H1s, H2s, H whatever. Um, but I do think that H tags are insanely important. One of the things that we've been looking at, I really think that Google is using BERT uh, to look at the H tags on a page to determine whether it's actually relevant to the query that they want to rank that page for. Uh, so if you have found especially with the May core update, that you have certain pages that dropped significantly in rankings, I take a look at the H tags. Um, there's a couple of ways you can do that. One thing that I've been making good use of recently is the detailed Chrome extension. And uh, it'll you can click on headers, and it'll give you a list of all the headings on the page. And often what we'll see after an update is that content that performed really well, if you just read the headings on the page, you'd be able to like actually understand what the content was about. And often content that doesn't perform well, the headings don't accurately describe what's in the page. Um, and so we think that Google is actually using headings, and this information from Gary sort of gives us a little bit more information uh, to say that maybe this is important when we're trying to uh, appear to be more relevant to people's searches. In terms of local SEO, at the end of last week, there was a little bit of algorithmic turbulence. Uh, we don't really have much information on an update or anything there, uh, but something to know. There are some new attributes added to Google My Business that are related to COVID. Um, these attributes include mask required, safety dividers at checkout, staff gets temperature checks, staff required to disinfect surfaces between visits, and also staff wear masks. Uh, if that's relevant to your business, then you can add these as attributes in Google My Business, and they'll appear when people are doing searches, uh, local searches for your business. Let's go on to do uh, a little bit of Q&A here. So something we've been doing for the last few episodes is uh, a little bit of a site review or answering users' questions about why is this not ranking. We got a really interesting question from Tess Robinson, and she talks about a personal finance website that she's been working on. Um, and they want to kind of compete against big websites like NerdWallet, uh, that type of thing. And this is an area that's really, really hard to compete in. I actually... Um, I've had, I mean, I've had several clients in, in this uh, niche. 
um, I'm just thinking back to February of 2017. Uh, I had several financial sites that we reviewed at that time. And uh, this was the time when Google really seemed to be pushing EAT and actual personal expertise. Uh, and a lot of things have changed in the SERPs over the last three years since that particular update. So you know that, Tess. You know that um, ranking in financial SERPs is extremely, extremely challenging. And really any SERP where uh, people can make money and significant money you're going to have some some competition. Tesla's question was about um, schema. And so they implemented schema in May, and they haven't seen any rich results from Google yet. Just to take a step back in case there's any uh, beginners here. So uh, in terms of rich results, one of the most common examples that we think of when we talk about rich results is review stars. So if you do a search for, um, there was a particular thing that they uh, they wanted to review. Uh, and then in the search results, you'll see that the site that's ranking really well has, uh, it's like four out of five review stars or something like that. And Tessa's site, which is four or five down organically, uh, does not have any review stars. And Tess says that she's tested the page in um, the rich results test, and it says that the pages are eligible, but yet she's still not seeing these stars. Now, there can be several reasons for this, and uh, what Tess said was, uh, let's see here, why is this? Is it because Google doesn't like the quality of the post? And, and that's because I've been mentioning that a lot. I often say if you don't get review stars, one of the reasons could be that Google thinks your site is low, too low quality to give review stars. I'm going to back up a little bit and uh, say that in slightly a different way. I don't think necessarily, I mean, I spent a bit of time looking at this site test, and I don't think necessarily it is low quality. I think you've got authors with good EAT, or at least one author that I looked at had good EAT. You've got really good information on your posts, um, but you're competing in a very, very competitive area. And I think this is a situation where it's not that you're doing anything wrong. It's just that often the only sites that actually get uh, review stars are the ones that rank like one, two, or three. Um, sometimes Google will go a little bit further and, and give a uh, review schema for review stars for other sites as well. Uh, but this is probably more of a ranking issue rather than a quality issue. With that said, though, and I did spend some time kind of looking at your post compared to the sites that were outranking you. Uh, and I have to say that, and I'm, I'm not going to name any names here because I don't want to call anybody out, but two of the sites that were outranking you for the term that you gave me are very clearly using unnatural link building. And I don't know if they're getting away with it or maybe those were old links that they've since disavowed and they're just irrelevant to this discussion. Uh, but it's possible that they're outranking you based on uh, unnatural links. And that's really frustrating. So when that happens, there's always a, an ethical dilemma that I have. Um, if you see a site that is clearly paying for links or building links via content marketing in a massive scale in a way that, you know, uses keyword anchors and it's, it's really working, uh, then what do you do? You can uh, report them to Google. And I'm always... I always debate whether to do that. I kind of feel like sometimes karma just comes back to get you. You know, if you're if you're um, reporting all your competitors, then the moment you do something that is worthy of reporting, you better watch out. You know, 
Um, but, you know, I, I have occasionally reported, uh, you know, competitors that are very clearly breaking Google's guidelines. If you wanted to report these sites, then uh, you can just Google uh, file a spam report at Google. And there's a section for paid links. Even if they're not paid, you know, you can give them an example there. The thing is, though, that that won't cause that site. We used to say in the past that that would cause that site to get a manual action potentially. Um, Google just said recently that they don't actually do that anymore, but instead that information goes to the Google engineers and there are many Google engineers who are working on link quality and they want to make it so that unnatural links don't actually help a site like this rank well. Uh, and so if the Google engineers look at this and go, oh, whoa, our algorithms did not get this right and this site actually is ranking based on unnatural natural links, then they'll change Google's algorithms to make it uh, so that that doesn't happen. And not just for that particular site, but overall, so that doesn't happen. So, I mean, you could report the site, uh, but most likely you're kind of stuck with this issue until Google figures it out. Now, the other thing I would look at uh, is, you know, other things that are ranking signals or that we think are ranking signals. Um, and so I don't think this is a schema issue. I think it's just more figuring out why does Google prefer for these websites. I did spend a bit of time and then realized that a full assessment of this page would probably take a good five to six hours of, uh, of investigation, um, which I just don't have time to do for this podcast uh, episode. Um, but some of the sites have more Google News mentions, like they seem to have a little bit more EAT for their brand uh, as opposed to the author. And also, um, I, I, you know, I looked at the headings on your page that you were worried about uh, not ranking or not getting the, the schema, uh, the stars. Um, and I compared uh, the content and the headings on the sites that were actually ranking. And I do think that you've made good use of headers. But I would take a look at that. And I would look at um, in great detail at all of the posts that are outranking you and think, really, truly, did they give information that I don't have in my post that would be very helpful to have? Have they displayed the information in a way that maybe is easier for people to read? Uh, people like to skim things. People like images. You know, it, it's different for every particular SERP. And one way to determine, uh, you know, whether your post is lacking in terms of helping people as compared to these other ones is to do some user testing. And you can do, I mean, very simple user testing is just get a group of people together. Maybe challenging in the age of COVID, but you can do this remotely. Uh, get a group of people and just ask them questions. Look, here's, here's four different websites. And if you do a search for this particular thing, which of these websites actually uh, answers your query the best? Um, and so that's one one way, uh, we've also made good use of Five Second Test, I think it's called, um, which uh, is a website that you can very quickly get user, uh, user feedback like that. Although uh, I do think that um, it's not always completely accurate. Uh, but that's something I would be looking at is uh, there's probably a reason why your content is just not quite as good, uh, not able to outrank uh, the uh, competitors. I imagine, though, that once you crack that, and cracking that could mean you know getting more brand mentions, which will build up your EAT for the brand. It could mean getting more links to the actual uh, article itself, which is challenging. Don't go down the road of trying to replicate the unnatural links that your competitors have done, because uh, it'll be a mess to figure out later on if, uh, if your rankings drop. 
Um, but I think that if you're able to actually rank above one or two sites that are ranking above you right now, that your review stars will start to show. Um, I had looked at whether this was an issue of aggregate reviews. I know some of you listening right now are, are wondering, you know, because there's, there's rules about whether Google will display your aggregate reviews, reviews, but this is a different situation. I really think your schema is fine. Uh, I think that uh, the issue is more that you just need to rank better, which is uh, a more challenging issue. So let's uh, finish up here with this mini site review for a site that was submitted to us on Twitter. If you want to submit a site on Twitter, the best way is to tweet at the MHC underscore Inc. Twitter account. And our amazing social media manager, Summer, will um, bring this to my attention. And we have a list of sites that we're going to review. And by the way, if you have submitted a site to us for review and I haven't reviewed it, it's in my list. <laughs> I've got quite a few now that we're doing this. And so we've been sort of working through a couple at a time each week. So, um, so thank you for those submissions. This site, and if you have your phone with you or you have your computer, you're at your computer, it's called sometimessailing.com, all one word. Pretty cool site. I like, uh, you know, I, I read a little bit about it. I read about some cruises in Alaska, and now I want to take one. <laughs> I think it'd be pretty cool. Uh, I've never done a cruise. I don't know if cruises, gosh, that was probably affected by COVID, right? I mean, that's where we first heard the stories of people being trapped on cruise ships, and uh, I would imagine that industry is seeing issues. Um, now, this site, I looked you up on SEMrush and just to see what keywords you were currently ranking for, and you're really not ranking for anything. Uh, I'm not sure whether your site is new. I didn't look that up. Um, but, uh, but it's going to be a little bit challenging to figure out what to improve because there's actually nothing going on just yet. Now, um, I clicked on, well, first of all, the homepage of your website. So I went there and I thought, what is this site about? I see stuff on uh, cruises and some stories that you've done, and it, it's very, very interesting, but I still don't understand the purpose of your website. And I would urge you to look at the quality raters guidelines. They talk in great detail about understanding the purpose of the website. Now, the purpose may be just to share information about some cool travel that you've done. That's cool, but I don't understand who your target audience is. Um, maybe the purpose is to get people to click on an affiliate link to sign up for a cruise and then you make some money with that. But I, I couldn't tell, and I was on your website for probably half an hour. Uh, I struggled a little bit to figure out what your purpose of your website is. So I would love to see something. You do have something on your homepage where you describe, um, uh, the two of you and, and, uh, and how you, I, I don't have it in front of me here now, but the, what, that stuff was not bad, but I'd love to see something in the above the fold content that says something like, you know, we're the best place to book a riverboat cruise or giving you information on what cruises are available or guiding you to the right cruise. I, again, I don't know what the purpose of your website is. And I think that when you hone down and figure out what your purpose is, you'll start to do much, much better. Now, I clicked on one of your articles. I think it was called 12 Reasons You'll Love the uh, Authentic Alaska Cruise Port Icy Strait Point in Huna. It looked really, really cool. Um, the thing again, though, is that I'm not sure who your audience is for this article. So if your audience was people who are looking to book a cruise, it's going to be really struggling. You're going to really struggle to rank in those SERPs because if I, um, you know, I did a search for uh, booking a cruise to, what was it, uh, Icy Strait Point in Huna, Alaska. 
And all of the sites that are ranking are massive authorities. So, uh, you know, I'm seeing TripAdvisor and like actual cruise lines uh, that are advertising here. And this makes sense, right? Because Google's trying to figure out the searcher's intent. So somebody who does a search for uh, booking a cruise, they're probably looking for a cruise liner. You know, they, now they might be looking for information. But they're probably looking for uh, the place where they can actually book. Um, and so I can't see Google ranking you above those massive authorities, at least at this point. I think it's conceivably possible that you could build up yourself as an authority uh, where people go, look, before I book any cruise, I need to see what sometimesailing.com says. Uh, and, uh, and that could happen, but we're certainly not there yet. Um, now, maybe the intent is just to help give people information. Um, the thing is though, so I did a search for information on Icy Strait Point in Alaska and what came up was the official website of this location. Like, I don't know if it's a town or a city uh, or what, but they have an official website and then TripAdvisor and Wikipedia and Travel Alaska. Like they are not going to outrank these sites with your blog again. And unless you build up extensive EAT and a would be the important thing here. Um, Google needs to see if you're advising people on how to travel, they need to see that you're seen as an authority in doing that. And how do you do that? You need to get yourself mentioned in other places that talk about, uh, authorities. Um, let's see here. What else can I say? I, I think, so then I looked at another post, 10 things we loved about our Emerald Waterways River Cruise. And as I read this, I thought, all right, I think I understand the purpose of this. They're going to show me where I can buy, you know, sign up for this cruise via an affiliate link. Now it's possible. I see you have an affiliate disclaimer on your website and there are a couple of no followed links that tend to go, uh, places that maybe could be affiliate, but there's nothing actually on this page that says to the reader, Hey, if you want to sign up for this cruise, here's where you do it. So if that is your purpose, if your purpose is to funnel people to the actual cruise line and actually, um, make some money in terms of, uh, uh getting an affiliate uh, commission, then you need to tell people that you need to say, where do you sign up for this cruise? Well, here's all of the possibilities. Also, it, what you wrote really looks like a review. And so again, think of what are the queries that people would come, would search for to come to this page. Probably they're looking for uh, a review of some sort, right? But the word review is not in your page at all. So I would actually add review to the title. I think most people who are looking for a review of particular cruises were kind of trained to go to TripAdvisor, maybe go to Reddit, uh, go to places where people are discussing this type of, of, uh, of trip. Um, and so you need to be, you need to have incredible information um, that convinces people like, no, no, I don't want to go look at my usual places. I want to go look at sometimessailing.com. And this is really, really, really tricky. Um, one quick other thing I'll add. I noticed that uh, you have a, it's probably a plugin that um, provides related posts in the middle of uh, your article. I see related, uh, Tromso boat tour in Norway, um, and a link to your article on that. Those links are no followed and I, they don't need to be no followed. You actually want Google to be finding your information and, uh, you know, crawling those links. And there's no reason to make that a no followed link. No follow should only be used for a few reasons. One would be if it's a paid link or uh, a link that goes to maybe affiliate content. 
Um, two would be, if it, it's a link that goes to a site that you just don't want to be associated with. Like if I was talking about some adult website that was struggling to rank and maybe, you know, I want to link to it to show the example, but I don't want to be associated with that website, I might link with a no-followed link. And then another reason to use a no-followed link would be uh, if you were linking to a competitor and you didn't want to boost their rankings by giving them a link. You know, we see people do that a lot as well. Uh, but there's really no reason uh, that I can see to no-follow internal links. Now, some people would argue, you know, we can talk about page rank sculpting. I know there are some very uh, good SEOs who I really admire and respect uh, who still really uh, feel that page rank sculpting is a good idea. Google has said no, <laughs> that it's not. Um, and the whole idea of page rank sculpting is that you're very specific in which internal links you follow and which ones you're not. Uh, but I don't think that this is the case for using it, uh, if there is any case. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to to add follow uh, to to remove the no follow from your uh, from your internal links. Um. So, you know, overall, I think you've got a good website, but I think the key is coming down to figuring out um, who do I want to come to this website? What am I trying to accomplish with it? And then make, you know, create signals that basically make that clear to Google. Uh, again, the Quality Raiders guidelines talk about how important it is to understand the purpose of a website. And I could not understand the purpose of your website. So I think if you can, if you can solve that, that you will do better. Uh, but I also think that you should be going after some long tail things I think going after reviews, you know, one of the things I'd love to see if reviews is something that you, you, you have a lot of um, and you make money from, I'd love to see you have like a hub and spoke model uh, where maybe you do a review for a particular location and the title of that is our review for such and such. Um, and then you also do three or four other blog posts about that location that answer people's questions that link back to your review page using anchor text that uh, makes it clear that your page is a review. Uh, so hopefully that makes sense. I, I think that's something that could really help your website to do better. And I think that if you focus on reviews for um, you know things that uh, aren't already dominated uh, in the SERPs by uh, big giants, that you'll do better. But that's a, that's a struggle. Um, I think that's a good place to end it here, guys. Uh, I want to remind you that we're doing this link webinar. It'll be at the end of this week, and you can find it on our YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is under Marie Haynes. It's not Marie Haynes Consulting. I saw there was another MHC Inc. that had a YouTube channel. I'm going to have to check that out. Uh, I don't think it has anything to do with SEO. Um, and I'm uh, trying to figure out, I'm going to ask for your help. If you can tweet at me some ideas for Halloween. I'm going to tell you what I want to do here. And uh, I want to make this a really good thing for my children. Um, and I feel like some of the smart people listening to this can give me some really good ideas. I don't know about your area of the world, but in Ottawa where we live, um, COVID is becoming more serious right now. We have more cases and we've gone into more of a uh, earlier stage of lockdown where restaurants are closed and whatnot. And while it might be acceptable to go out and go trick-or-treating, my children are not going to do that. We're going to stay home. And that's devastating to them because Halloween is like one of our favorite things. You know, we absolutely love uh, getting dressed up and, and going out. And of course, they like the candy too. Uh, so we decided we're going to do a really cool thing at our house where uh, we do a little mini haunted house and have like, ooh, 
ooh, here's a ball of eyeballs, and it's really peeled grapes or something. And I don't know, we're going to, and then, you know, oh, here's some worms that you've got to put your hand in in order to get your candy. Um, and that would be spaghetti, you know, that type of thing. If you have any ideas, uh, keeping in mind that my children are young, 8 and 12, uh, that, um, uh, and they, I told them it would be a little bit scary, not too scary. So they're really excited. So if you have any ideas for me, please tweet at me, Marie underscore Haynes. I'd love to have your ideas for that. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. <laughs>